you have the nicest house ever, but if the foundation is shaky, then it's not going to be that great of a house to live in. In fact, in college, I was uh, I got the opportunity to go. Some of my friends lived in this house that hosted lots of big disco parties. And this house, they got away with paying like $100 a month for rent. It's technically where I'm supposed to live there because the foundation itself was extremely shaky. And to make matters worse, they decided that it would be a good idea to invite 200 kids once a month to their house to have disco dance parties where everyone's jumping up and down on the floor. Now this house has been condemned. Like you literally can't live there anymore because their parties literally wrecked the foundation. So even if the house was really good, the foundation is the most important thing. And so we as people, we also have foundations. Okay, it's what we look to to find our security and our stability and our significance in life. It's where we feel like we have worth. Our worth is where we find that foundation. And so, Jesus talks about this in Matthew 7. So if you have your Bible or your phone, uh, go ahead and take that out. And he talks about foundation uh, here, and it's in Matthew 7. Matthew 7, I'm just going to go ahead and, and read it. Maybe you're not there yet, but uh, for the sake of time. Verse 24 in Matthew 7 says, and you've heard the story before. It says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat down that house, beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, just like it did the other house. But this house, when it beat against it, it fell, and great was the fall of it. In other words, Jesus communicated here the idea that the question is not whether you have a foundation. The question is, what is your foundation? And is it, in fact, sturdy? What, what is the source of your significance? What are you looking to, to locate it and to find it? Where is your stability? What are you looking to when life gets tough? What do you immediately try to fall back on to find that sense of worth and security? All through life, people do this. All right, so in high school, for example, maybe it's trying to establish your self-worth or your significance by making a sports team or by making A's on that test, or being the top of your class. And if you're not the top of your class, then you feel less than because everyone else is always grading themselves on that. Or maybe in college, for example, it's, it's trying to establish your significance by you know, being in that fraternity or sorority, or being in that friend group, or being with the it crowd, or maybe being in that career path that lines you up so that you feel as if you therefore have importance or significance. Or maybe out of college, it's not those things, because that you've been removed from that environment. Maybe out of college, it's just that there's people who are seeking to find their significance or validation by simply the career that they have, or the neighborhood that they live in. Or maybe for most of us, it's, I just want to be married. I don't want to be single, and if I'm married, then that means I finally made it. That means I finally have self-worth. And then after that, it's just establishing your significance earning potential, or the kids that you have, or how good your kids are, or not. It's always a game that you have to keep paying more and more tribute to. That is, what, that is what your foundation is. And so please hear me out. Like, absolutely none of these things okay, are bad in themselves. Making good grades, getting on the sports team, being accepted into the business school, being the golden child whose parent everyone loves, getting married, having a big house. Like, those are all good things. Those are blessings. But there's a dangerous temptation to treat them as more than just those things. And rather, to use those things as your foundation. So, grades, you drop a grade. Or maybe it's the 
the foundation of your friendships. You have another pillar of your foundation. Or the fact that you are now dating somebody. Oh, I can feel secure because of this. And so you're, you're constantly laying bricks with these performances or your circumstances in your life. And so that's, that, that's what makes these things difficult. And so th- there's a show uh, that I watched about a year ago, and I still remember it because it was pretty profound. How many of you have seen the show Black Mirror on like, Netflix or whatever it's on? Black Mirror. It's like half of it. Black Mirror is a uh, show that I can't necessarily endorse because it's, it's not a, a, a godly show. Someone encouraged me to watch this because of how biblical its themes are, actually. But what in this one particular show called Nosedive, it's a social critique of your cell phone and how your cell phone is changing the way that you relate to everybody and changing the way and shaping the way that you be yourself. And so in this show, Nosedive, all the characters, all of them had a device that strangely looked like an iPhone. I'm going to take this. And literally everywhere they went, it was just, they were always connected. They were always connected. And every time you had an interaction with someone, you would always be graded based on how well that interaction was. So in the show, while they're on their phones, always, there's a number above their head. Everyone can see the number at all times, too. One out of five stars. It's kind of like a Yelp review. And based on the interactions that you have, people will swipe you up or swipe you down. If you have a good interaction, people think you're funny, and you get up to five stars. Or if you told that joke, it didn't go over very well, and you would get graded down. And so your rating was the accumulation of all the interactions that you had. Your overall rating was the the overall um, um, accumulation of, of every decision you've made, all the interactions you've had, all your performance, all your circumstances. And so the whole message of this, of this show was the meaning of life is to make sure that your, your five-star average was as close to five stars as possible. And so what happened was that people were just so enslaved to their phones. They were so enslaved to the number above their head. None of us, this is absurd, right? None of us would ever agree to live in a reality where our, our GPA is always right above our head for everyone else to see. Where no one would ever agree, agree to live in a reality where um, your, your earning or your salary is posted above your head for everybody to see. No one would ever agree to that, because that's absurd. And yet, that's the point is because the show is saying, because maybe you wouldn't, but everyone acts that way. And everyone treats everyone else as if that's the only way to live. That's, that's what the show is saying here <laughs> with, with how we're feeling so enslaved to numbers. Social media, especially, has made this problem the worst. Because maybe more than any other time in reality, you can like quantifiably measure approval, if you can ever do that anyways. Or you can quantifiably measure, like, popularity, or you can quantifiably measure how liked you are or not. And so therefore it breeds this, this sense of comparison nonstop. He got 100 likes on this picture. I only got 70. Woe is me. Or he has 2,000 followers. I only have 50. So therefore he's worth more than I am. And so then you're like, how do I get, how do I get up to that status? How do, I get, how do I make up for the distance that I've lost? What did I do wrong? What can I do better? And so then you think you're, you're believing all these lies that certain numbers mean certain realities, and it's just not the case. It, it, it's false. And so overall, the show is saying that, that many of us live in a reality where we're so tied up to, to measuring our self-worth on everything else around us. And they're saying it's a dead end. And maybe Jesus is saying that too. 
In fact, that is the real issue going on here. The real issue is not your social media following. The real issue is not your grades. The real issue is not your friends. The real issue is not how good of a person you are or how good looking you are or any of that. The real issue underneath all those things is what's your foundation? Where are you finding your self-worth? And so that's what Jesus is talking about. It's either sand or it's a rock. It's either sand or it's a rock. So that's why I want to divide the, the rest of the talk up into two things. Sand and the rock. And so I want to show you the problem of what happens when you base your foundation on sand, or when your foundation is sand, versus the solution of what it means to find your self-worth and your identity on the rock. So this is number one, if you're taking notes. Here are three reasons why building your life on sand just doesn't work. Number one is basing your self-worth on your ability to measure up, you know, or prove yourself based on your performance or circumstances. Basing your self-worth on those things, it'll only breed comparison, leading to two dead ends, pride or despair. It doesn't work morally. Sorry, how do I know this? All right, when I was in high school, my entire self-worth, entire self-worth, I could show it to you on a piece of paper called a resume. Alright, that was, that was all, if someone, if, if someone asked me, Austin, why do you matter? Why, are, why do you feel important about yourself? Or wh- where do you get validation or security in life? I would say, oh, well, my GPA is, or I'd say, oh, well, I'm the captain of this sports team, or, oh, I have this amount of friends, or I got into this school, or any of those things. That, that's where I found my self-worth, and so I felt like I mattered because of all the things that I did, or I felt like I mattered because of the circumstances that were around me that literally I didn't have too much control over, and those were the things that gave me my identity. Now, when I went out to college, when I went to college, all of that didn't matter anymore at all. No one cared that I was valedictorian, and also I'm not bragging here, I was at a really, really, really small school, so anyone could have been that. I, I took such pride in the fact that, oh, I was a captain of these three sports teams. Austin, you know, you don't even have a team of people to make a basketball team, so obviously they're going to do Two out of three people are going to be a captain, you know. So, so I, and so in college, I felt this immense burden when I went to clothe myself, my, to myself in the accomplishments and accolades and achievements that I had left in high school because I had to, like, work all over again to find my self-worth. So I felt this immense burden, an immense weight to work as hard as I could to get people's approval again. Work as hard as I could in school to therefore feel validated again in my own achievements. And, and, and accomplish and accomplish and accomplish. And now also, what do you, remember what happened after the first sin in Adam and Eve? What do they do? You, you, you can talk out loud. They blame each other. They blame each other, but then what happened after that? Actually, before that. Before that? They yeah, hide. They hid. And they clothe themselves. Once you lose the approval of God on your life, your immediate reaction is to hide and to clothe yourself. Yeah, we're not looking for fig leaves, obviously, but like, what are those metaphorical fig leaves that we're immediately trying to grasp at to cover ourselves with? I mean, it could be anything, such as romance. That's my fig leaf. Or the academic achievement. That's my fig leaf. Or, or just really nice clothing. That's my fig leaf. Make me feel important. Or maybe it's a good, healthy family lifestyle. That's my fig leaf. And so you grasp at those things, trying to cover up and clothe for an area that just isn't working. And, and here's the reality. is that when, when it isn't always based on circumstance, you inevitably end up working to comparison. Because you're only comparing. You're, you're, if your self-worth is based on that, you're only going to look at other people. 
as your metric for if you're doing good enough or not. So it's a dead end. It'll either lead you to pride, thinking that you actually are on top, which leads to delusion and self-righteousness, and you're just going to be a prick that no one really likes. Or you're going to be in despair constantly, measuring yourself against people who you think you don't measure good as good as, but that's not even the point anyways. So you're, you're always going to be in pride or despair, and in the middle, you're just wrecked with oscillating with, with anxiety nonstop, always trying to establish yourself and figure out who you are. It just doesn't work. It just doesn't work when you base your self-worth on circumstances or your performance. Comparison will eat you alive. That's number one. Number two is basing your self-worth on your performance or your circumstance will make your disappointments and failures in life way worse than they actually are. All right, we all will have failures and disappointments. That's without a question. But when your self-worth is based on your performance and your circumstance, it'll always make those disappointments worse than they actually have to be. Let, what do I mean by this? Let me give you an example. If your self-worth, some of you athletes in here might resonate with this, if your self-worth is based on your athletic ability, what happens when you get a career in an injury? Then what? Or if your self-worth is based on your academic achievements, what happens if you fail an important test or you get denied from the business school? Or if your self-worth is based on the acceptance of others, what happens when you go to a new city and you don't have any friends? What kind of compromises will you make in order to pack, find those friends and not approve? Or, or maybe, maybe if you find yourself worth on social media and likes, what happens when you don't get the amount of likes that you think you deserve? Or people don't see your stuff on there as much as you think that they need to? Then it's not just about social media, it's about you and it's about others. It changes the dynamic. Or, or what if your self-worth is based on a romantic interest and you go through a breakup? Or you have no prospects? Then what? It's not even about like romance anymore. See, the problem with basing your self-worth on those things is that those things no longer become a failure in that category. It becomes a statement on who you are. It becomes way worse than that. You're blowing it out of proportion. A breakup's not just a breakup. It's, it's saying you're not worthy. A failed test is not just a failed test. It's maybe you're not smart. I mean, really, you're not worthy anyways. Or, 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 or bad relationships with your family isn't just a bad relationship with your family. It's what's wrong with you. It becomes something that it's not because you're putting your self-worth into it. When I, when I failed my first exam in college, and I didn't fail this one, I failed a number, it wrecked me. Was it because I really cared about chemistry? No! I didn't care about chemistry. But chemistry and how well I did in it was my self-worth. And so when I failed, I felt so bad because it wasn't just a grade, it was a statement about who I am. That's what happened. Or, or if you break up with that person, what happens, it's not just a breakup, it becomes a statement about who you are. It becomes way, way, way worse than it needs to be. Let me, let me also address this, because we're in a church and a Christian culture, and, and, I, and I completely resonate with this. Uh, Tim Keller told a story. Uh, Tim Keller is a, is a pastor in New York, and he told a story about um, a guy who was a member at his church, and he said that uh, this guy was your, your deacon, everyone knew who he was in the church, he was great, like well-liked, well-admired, well-approved, and everyone loved him. And then, tragically, in his story, he had three daughters, and they all got in a wreck, and all of them died. All of them did. And so everyone was like, so, so heartbroken for this man. But people watched from afar and were really impressed, maybe, by the way that he was handling this, this tragedy of losing his three daughters. And, and he was, and people were like, oh, like he's, he trusts God a lot. And like, 
he believes in God's sovereignty and he believes in his love a ton and it doesn't affect him as much as it would affect other people. So like, this guy's a great Christian guy. Wow. People were still so admiring of him and approving of him. And yet a year later, the same guy, keep in mind, knocked on Tim Keller's door and he was like in a frenzy. He was panicking. He was shaking. He was uh, completely inconsolable. And, and Keller was, was asking, okay, oh, this is just like PTSD. Uh, maybe now, like, the big traumatic event that happened is now affecting him at a deeper level. Maybe this is, like, about his daughters. Well, as he starts opening up, this man starts opening up, it had nothing to do with his daughters. The reality was that what was happening is that he, he was actually struggling with lustful thoughts towards someone else's wife in the church and someone else knew about it. Okay? Now, this is, I'm not saying that one sin is worse than another, but how did that one lustful thought wreck him? And then losing three of his daughters, he was more or less fine. To make this story even more tragic, this man ended up committing suicide because he was so inconsolable from this, 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 this thought of lust that someone else had heard about. And so Keller, people are always asking Keller, what happened? Like, like, how do you explain that? How does someone who has gone through tragedy kill themselves not over the tragedy, but over a lustful thought? How does that happen? And so Keller, he, he says, I don't know exactly. But what I do think is happening here is that this man placed his identity in being a good Christian person to everyone else's eyes. And what happened when someone else heard of a struggle... It wrecked him because he, his self-worth was found in being the Christian that everyone had to admire. Okay? Does that make sense? So many of us, okay, we're in this church environment. We're in a church culture. It's really easy to find your self-worth in being the good Christian. In doing all the right things. In going to church and serving. And you find your worth in being the guy that people know at church or being the person that has the platform or being the worship leader or being the small group leader. But what happens when you fail? What happens when you sin? What happens when someone else replaces you? It's not just about the role anymore. It's your worth. See, our worth isn't supposed to be found in our performance or our circumstances. It just fails. This is a, a third analogy, a third example of why this fails, uh, why basing your self-worth in circumstances doesn't work. And that is, if you base your self-worth on being someone that, that has their that their, has their worth tied to their circumstances and performance, you're always going to be someone that you're not. You're always going to be someone that you're not. And so, if you're always tying your self-worth to a circumstance or other people, you're going to try to be someone that you're not because you need to be someone that other people approve. So the person that you're wanting to have approved is actually not you. It's the one that you're projecting out. You know, for example, okay, this is a dumb analogy. You're going to laugh at me, but I'm just going to be real with y'all. Um, when I was in middle school, maybe it was high school, I don't know. I'm just going to say middle school because it's less embarrassing. I liked this girl, and I found my total self-worth by, by what she thought of me. Okay? Tragically, she did not like me. Can you believe it? Yeah, I know. She didn't like me. But she liked another guy instead. And I was like, oh, why is she like Preston? Give me a break. And so what did I do? This was so dumb. It's embarrassing. I love you guys. Okay? Is that I tried being like 
the guy that she liked so that I could be the one that finally got approval from her. Does that make sense? That's a terrible strategy. Don't ever do that, by the way. But do you see what happens? And obviously, did that work? No, of course not. That's a dumb analogy. The second one is more realistic. I, I noticed this, that people tried to be someone they're not when I went to orientation for college. What happened was, you know, you do the whole, like, regular thing. Oh, how are you doing? Nice to meet you. What's your name? Where are you from? What's your major? Like, oh, no, I'm a freshman. Like, but everyone asks. And everyone, everyone, well, not everyone, uh, 90%, 90% of everyone that was in orientation said, oh, my major? Pre-med. Obviously. Oh, pre-law. Duh, what else do I need? Law, you're a doctor. 90% of everyone. Why? Is it because God made 90% of people to be doctors and lawyers? No. Thank the Lord. We love you, doctors and lawyers. But why? Because in our society, being a doctor and being a lawyer means that you have made it up to the top. And therefore, you have the social currency and you have the approval of other people. So really, people aren't really caring about the job that they're doing because they love it. They care about the job and what it will get them to cover over a deeper need inside that's not being fulfilled elsewhere. Does that make sense? Uh, and social media is the same way. What do people do on social media? They're always putting their best foot forward. They're always projecting a, a picture of themselves that might not actually be true. And they're doing that in order to get the approval that they need. We all do this, right? This is the main, the main temptation of social media. And so when you base your self-worth on circumstances or your performance, you will always end up being someone that God did not make you to be. And then this is why those things don't work for sand. How does, going back to Black Mirror, how do you think Black Mirror ended? Did it end with the main character finally reaching the five-star rating and like happily ever after? No. It actually was the reverse. She worked and worked and worked and worked and worked and tried and tried and tried and tried and tried and, tried and, tried and like sacrificed and sacrificed and sacrificed and did everything that she was supposed to do. And what happened was she just kept getting deproved over and over and over again. And it led to oblivion. She actually ended up with a 0.0 star and she got thrown into jail because the society can't be with people like that. Obviously, they'll bring down rates to everybody else. And, and the last scene was terrifyingly, shockingly, but almost profounding, but almost very, very profound. This is, this is what happened. She is in a prison cell, right across from someone else in another prison cell. And they're just looking at each other for what seems like five minutes with no conversation, just staring into each other's eyes. And then she says, I kid you not, she just looks at him and says, blank you. And then... Then he says back to her, blank you. And then the show ends. That's not the And the show ends. That's it. And the credits roll. And people are like, what? That's how the show ends. Like, how? Where did, how? Why? Why is, that the, why is that the result? The show is saying, fundamentally, if you find your worth in other people and in other circumstances, it is inevitable that you are saying to them, essentially, blank you. Because I don't really care about you, I only care about you for what you get me. That is essentially what it's saying. And then it's like, well, that's the way the life is. That's the way the world is. Now just deal with it. I, I had two non-Christian friends who I asked about this. And I said, hey, I saw the show, this was the ending. 
This is what it's saying that life is about. This is, I mean, it seems kind of dark. It's kind of tragic. What's the solution? And he said, you know what? Like, the winners win, the losers lose. Those who have better genes get to the top. Those who don't, natural selection and uh, deal with it. He's like, I know it's not, like, great to hear, but that's the reality. And I was like, wow, okay. Thanks for your honesty. I asked someone else that, and they weren't as harsh. They were like, well, you know what? Like, that... You're right. That's the way it is. But, like, you shouldn't... Just don't care about it. Like, just don't, don't think about it. Just, just try to be happy for yourself. That was their answers. Welcome to Earth. Isn't this a great reality that we live in? That's the problem. So is there a solution? Well, thankfully, we as Christians do have the solution, and that is the gospel. That, that is something that only we have, and I want to talk about this very briefly because I know that I can tend to talk longer. But the world is always saying, to find yourself worth, it is saying, have it your way, just do it, keep climbing, never stop improving, keep striving and striving and striving, doing and doing and doing, and you're exhausted. But only Jesus is a religious leader who says it is finished. Stop trying. The world says you're defined by your work, your metrics, your numbers, your accomplishments, your goodness, your connections. That's what the world has said you're defined by. And the reality is, is you are defined by that. But not your own. That's what Christianity says. You're not defined by that. Christianity says you're defined by those things, not your own. You're defined by Jesus' work. You're defined by his accomplishments. You're defined by his righteousness, his life for yours. And then finally, you can just be free. Only the gospel of of Christ. God says, you have ultimate self-worth because I say so. And more clearly than that, I've demonstrated it by, by sending my son to die in your place for your sin. To redeem you. It's by my work that I've established your value, not your work. It's a gift, it's a gift of grace through faith so that no one can boast or fret. And if you're a Christian, you have access to a type of self-worth that isn't subject to the inevitable roller coasters of life. It's not defined by your performance. It's not defined by your circumstances. It's just given by grace and received by faith. And there's this interesting phrase in the Hall of, Hall of Faith, as they call it in Hebrews 11. Anyway, like we have the Hall of Fame. This is called the Hall of Faith, where they feature people who had great uh, demonstrations of faith in God. And it says in, 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 in verse 10 of Hebrews 11, it says, Abraham was looking to a city whose founder was God, whose foundations were built by God. And that's a really weird phrase because what city doesn't have foundations, right? Like every city has, every building has foundations. So like, what does he mean by this? He said Abraham's life was depicted in such a way that he was able, he did not compromise in certain things because he found his foundation in who God was to him, not in what everything else was around him. And Lot was the, the contrast. He was always finding it in his circumstances everywhere else. That's what I'm saying. And, and listen, I also don't want to preach either. Like maybe some of you in here aren't Christians, and that's great. Thank you for coming. But I don't want to, I don't want to, this to sound preachy. I just want you to approach this issue from a strictly logical perspective. Okay, can we just be like, throw every like religious kind of like premise out the window real quick? Just think logically, okay? Think logically. If, in fact, your self-worth is based on your circumstances or your performance, therefore it is unstable because those things can change and will have subject to change. 
right? That means, therefore, the only, logically, the only stable solution, the only stable form of self-worth is something that's not tied to performance, not tied to circumstance. Where can you get that? The answer is in, is in Christ. The answer is in God's grace. Because only Christianity, only is the only religion, only worldview, only philosophy, where you're defined not by what you do for God, or what you do for yourself, but what God has done for you instead. And then you can finally have freedom. And this is the thing. That finally frees you up in life. Because if it's not based on you, then it reverses all of it. So for example, like if you're finding your self-worth in comparison to other people, well, if you find it in Christ, then your self-worth will not be determined by how well you measure up to other people. You're free of other people's comparison. You'll experience freedom from that insidious snare of always comparing yourself to other people, shopping horizontally, when really, vertically, is where you're going to find the true satisfaction for your souls. And then once you have that satisfaction, then you don't have to treat friendships for what you can get out of it. Then you can just treat a friendship because it's a friendship. Crazy, right? You can just enjoy someone because it's a person and not something that can give you worth yourself. Crazy, right? Or, an, or, or another thing, for example, if you find yourself worth in your circumstances, your performance, like we said with getting into the business school or being in a, in a romantic relationship, those things are going to magnify your failures because your self-worth is always tied up in them. But if you find your self-worth in Christ and what He's done, then you go through a breakup and it's actually... Just a breakup. You get an F on a test, and it's just an F. You get an injury, and as bad as that is, it's just an injury. It's not a declaration of who you are as a person or where you're finding your self-worth. Or if, you're, if your self-worth is tied up into circumstances and your performance, you're always going to be trying to make yourself into someone that you're not. Now if you finally just find it in Christ, then you can finally be who he's called you to be, and you don't feel the pressure to be a doctor for mom and dad. You don't feel the pressure to be someone that you're not for someone else. You can just be thankful for who God is to you and then be who he's called you to do. Be, be what he's called you to be and do what he's called you to do. You find freedom. You find that freedom. So here's my question. What frees you from being enslaved to the five-star rating that everyone is apparently enslaved to? What frees you? It is receiving a five-star rating that you can't lose and that you can't compromise. You receive it and you have it. So now you're allowed to hang out with people who are 1.2 stars because you can like them. And now you can do things that maybe you're not going to make the biggest buck on because you enjoy it. And you can like people and in like things, and live your life freely because you have the five stars. And it's not going to change based on your circumstances or anything else or your failures. It gives you freedom. And what those guys who I, who I asked, what's the solution here? When, I, when that was the solution, they're like, well, yeah, that, I guess logically that makes sense. And I'm like, that's the gospel. That's good news. That's where we have. So well, that's why we have something that no one else has. And that's what is so important about it. And that's something that we can share with all people because they need that. We have that. I, I want to conclude with a, a quick story. Uh, not a story. As if I made it up. But, but a show. Another show. Y'all think probably I watch like so much TV. I really don't want to ask my roommates. Uh, how many of you have seen the movie Chariots of Fire? Have you seen that? It's an oldie. Okay. Some of y'all. Chariots of Fire is like a 90s film. I don't know. 80s maybe, but, but it's, it's a movie of two Olympic track stars, 
Harold Abrahams and Eric Little. They're both track stars to the best in the world. And Harold Abrahams, the movie depicts, as someone who finds his identity and his self-worth in his accomplishments and in his track career. Eric Little, on the other hand, who was just as good as a track star, did not find his identity in his accomplishments. He found his identity simply in what God thought about him. And so he felt freedom. So, and there's one scene in the movie that is absolutely uh, characteristic of, of, of what it means to find your identity in Christ versus everything else. One interviewer asked Harold Abrahams, who was the first track star, found his uh, self-worth and his accomplishments. She said, what, Harold, what do you think of what goes through your mind right before the gun goes off? Like, like 10 seconds before the gun goes off and you run your race, what's going through your head? And his answer was chilling. This is what he said. He said, well, right before the gun goes off, right when I get on the blocks, he says, I have 10 seconds to justify my entire existence. No pressure, right? Now, the same question was flipped to Eric Little, who was a Christian. And she was like, now what, Eric Little, what, what, do you, what goes through your mind right before you're about to run these big races? Like, like, like is there a lot of pressure? What, like, what, what's going through your mind? And his answer was awesome. He goes, well, when I run, I just feel God's pleasure. You have two people who do the exact same thing for a living, and their answers cannot be any more different. One, I, I run to justify my existence, and the other one, I run because I enjoy it and I feel God's pleasure. Who do you think actually enjoyed their career? Eric Little. Yeah, they had the same accomplishments, but, but for Harold Abraham's running was suffocating him because he was always looking to it to give him something that he needed. Eric Little... He found his identity in Christ, and that was oxygen in his lungs. He could just run. So where, where are you right now? Where are you finding your self-worth? Are you finding it horizontally? Are you finding it in your circumstances? Are you finding it in the way that people think about you, or your grades, your, or, or your career, or the people, or your friends, or your situation in life? Or are you finding it from somewhere above that isn't based on those things and gives you freedom to, to, to go through those things and navigate through them with wisdom and also with enjoyment? Where are you? So that is, the, that is essentially, I know that there's a lot of you in here who are, who are going through things. And we, this is something that we all struggle with, is where we find our self-worth. But only in Christ can we find freedom. And only in Christ can we find deliverance from being attached to our phones and being attached to friendships and being attached to our circumstances. And we can finally, in Christ, let those things go and actually enjoy them for what they're meant to be and not crush the life out of them in, in the process. And we have that good news as Christians. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap up, I'm going to pray, and then Riley is going to close this out, and we're going to be free to, to hang out in this awesome space. All right? <clears throat> uh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity uh, for all of us young girls to gather in this beautiful space. We thank you for this church for a second. We also thank you for everyone who, who's come here tonight. Uh, we thank you for your message, your good news, your gospel that, that truly sets us free, not just for eternity, but also for the here and now in all the circumstances that we go through. We pray uh, that that truth would, would, would click in our hearts and that it would change the way that we live and that we'd other, tell other people about it. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.